0: We are are Y-O-D. YOD. Fast forward to Joel today, and I'm like, hey, if things ain't going the way that I want them to go, and I'm I'm a big dreamer, so if my big dreams aren't being fulfilled, I don't have to stay here. I'm most definitely taking my vacation. And if I'm not feeling good today, I'm just not feeling good, so I'm not coming in. So depending on where you are in terms of generation, your perspective on how to be a good employee may differ.
1: Welcome to the Wild
0: Deep Podcast,
1: where our primary goal is to keep you informed and to be your central point of contact for what's happening around us. And anytime we get a chance, we like to give you something to think about. So if you're new to the show, we cover a wide range of topics from society to sobriety, from the culture to the vultures, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. In today's discussion, we talk about drinking the Kool Aid, being a company man. Playing the game and being the sellout. And we got real with this one. We talk about how it may have showed up for us. But before we get into it, do me a favor, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made by listeners just like you. So thank you for your support, your feedback, and ratings. Now, let's get into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm excited. This is a new day i got some outside time i got some sun rays i i guess i'm black enough but i'm going to keep on going with this tan but anyway outside of that i just wanted to <laughs> kick off the conversation uh, by actually officially welcoming joel to the podcast everybody please please give joel a round of applause let me hear a roar from the group
0: Thank you, man. Thank you. I was I gonna say, I thought you was it. gonna say something. Man, you know how how when you get caught up in the moment and, and it's just it's such a big moment. And you're just <laughs> taking all the energy in from the people. I was just taking the energy.
1: But hey, I'm excited. I'm excited, man. And um, you know, like I said, I've been outside, I've been trying to give my moments of clarity, um, enjoying who I am, but also enjoying nature. I feel like that's when I'm at my best, when I'm able to really take that in, and with that. It actually brought me to a thought because I've been consuming a lot of water. I've been on a water kick, something close to like a gallon a day. And with that being said, I had to think like, hey, in this type of summer right here that I'm experiencing, there was one thing that my mind would make, and it would be the best thing ever on a hot summer day. And yes, I'm talking about Kool-Aid, but not in that sense, Joel. I wanna talk about it in the subject of drinking the kool-aid and what that term means because yes we were in the conversation the other day and then we actually talked about the concept of drinking the kool-aid and that's when you dropped the bomb on me about where that term comes from please share that with the people
0: yeah so so back in in the 70s uh and i won't try to go too much into that era uh, but outside of all the various uh, issues that were taking place with black and white folks. You also had a lot of movements, uh, whether it was being a part of liberation and, and the hippies, and as a result, the spinoff you had a lot of cults popping up around that time, and and one of the most notorious court leader, excuse me, cult leaders was Jim Jones, and and Jim Jones was able to leverage his charisma, his ability to speak and and, and get people to join into his his message and his belief systems, and and overall his church—I'll call it his church—and he convinced these folks that they were going to go to be able to see God, and they were waiting on Haley's comet, which was also a big thing at the time. They were talking about comets coming and hitting Earth, and the potential evisceration of the planet. So these folks were already in the mindset that they were there; they were part of this group. They were enlightened. They were going to meet God, and the way that. They decided to meet God once the comet. They found out that wasn't coming. He made them some Kool-Aid and it was filled. It had cyanide in there and everybody that was a part of that cult. And, and as you do your research, I'm, I'm going to say this first. I suggest you do your research on this because it's an extremely interesting and sad story. But there were some folks that didn't want to and were forced to. But there were some people that willingly drunk the Kool-Aid. And they drunk the Kool-Aid because they didn't want to do a couple of things. One, they didn't want to go against this leader, this charismatic, uh, eloquent speaker, charming speaker, that had the love and affection of all of these folks. They didn't want to go against that, but also they didn't want to get left behind in the event what he was saying was true. So that's just a little bit of a mini background on Jim Jones, what he started. and clearly he was off of his rocker a little bit, um, but not so far off of his rocker that he wasn't capable of speaking and gaining the, the, the ear uh, and the following and the admiration of a large group of folks. And it's a tough topic,
1: man, because I've been hearing that term my whole life, at least my whole adult life in in work. And whatever I'm doing, in, in belief of a system, right. So when yes. I think about it from your perspective, and and just in having casual conversations with you, we talked about some of the most influential individuals, whether good or bad, in our past or in recent memory, right. And then yes. the thought process of drinking the Kool Aid, which I've never heard, even though I've heard the Jim Jones story, I never heard that term relating to the Jim Jones story, but I hear it in business all the time, as far as individuals that are able to, I guess, be a part of the system or conform to the system or or drinking the company Kool-Aid is usually what I hear. And unfortunately, now that I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it in a bad way um, because some people may actually go outside themselves and even to your point, may not even really want to drink the Kool-Aid, but to be a part of this system or to be a part of this organization, to be a part of this group or cult, they end up falling in line and end up taking part in the uh, ritual of drinking the Kool-Aid. So I I just wanted to look at that from, I guess, a bigger point of view and then drill down just a little bit. And if you could help me and also anybody that's listening, uh, like in your ways or in your views, where have you seen somebody go through the process of drinking the Kool-Aid?
0: Like, where does that show up in the everyday? Yeah, and, and I'll say this, and this is probably going to be one of the more, for me, one of the more important uh, portions of this conversation because it's dealing with my folks. One of the things you'll hear us often say is playing the game. And I akin playing the game to drinking the Kool-Aid because basically it's it's a form of, and I'll I'll say more about playing the game in a minute because I just want to make the, the comparison here real quick. When you think about conforming or becoming indoctrinated, we've been indoctrinated culturally to play the game because that's the only way we can find a way to get ahead, and there's so much validity to that statement and to that thought process, but we're talking about a corporate setting right now, so let's keep it right there. In a corporate setting, when I hear people of color say to me, you know, gotta play the game. I look at how they move when they're in spaces where they're in a whole lot of faces that look like theirs. And it is, it's the indoctrination, it's the drinking the Kool-Aid, whether it's the terminologies used because every, every corporate organization has their own vernacular. Every time you go to a different organization, they use different words or different terms or different phrases. And it's stuff you may never have said, but suddenly you find yourself saying it. And it's sometimes it's subtle. So it's it's again, it reminds me of programming, like with television. Suddenly you're not even realizing, but next thing you know, you're saying bye, Felicia. Why are you saying that? If it wasn't for the movie Friday, would you even say that? So we got to look at the subtleties and we also have to look at the going along to get along or the playing the game. Just to try to get a seat at the table. Now, what you do once you get that seat is a totally different conversation. But I like where we're going in terms of that indoctrination. And I like that word. I want to kind of stick with that for a minute, because anytime we're talking about indoctrination, we're talking about becoming a part of something, because if I don't, there's going to be a negative result. So I, I want to kind of tee that up to you to get your thoughts on that piece, but, but that's immediately what I think of. So indoctrination,
1: um, it's a noun, everyone, okay? And um, it means teaching or instruction, right? So the methods that were approved for indoctrination in divinity is an example of using it in a sentence. When I think about it, it's the process of teaching a person or a group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Keyword uncritically. Right. So you're going to accept that and you're not going to criticize it. Now, that's exactly what drinking the Kool-Aid is. Right. I know that this probably isn't good for me. Right. But I'm going to drink it even though I'm going to take what you say and I'm not going to question it at all. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow, and you're saying that that shows up in your day to day or in our day to day as we try to navigate through uh, the world, whether it's uh,
0: personal or professional, it shows up a lot. Absolutely, I mean, and and it's funny we joked (laughs) last time we chatted, but we joked about me getting getting kicked off the show, the 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 listeners wanting me out of here. But (laughs) it makes me think about even in a marriage. The term that I always think about, which is, again, that indoctrination is happy wife, happy life. And I always found that to be curious because it's, it's, it's not even a question anymore. That's kind of like what it is. And I said, well, but what if the other side's not happy? How is it a happy life? And then going back to the corporate setting, all right, if I'm not willing to drink the Kool-Aid, am I limiting my potential? If I don't look like one of the good guys or one a company man is another name that's used fairly frequently. If I'm not a company man, I don't fit the description of somebody who you can trust to be indoctrinated and drink the Kool-Aid and get others to drink the Kool-Aid. Am I limiting my mobility upwards within that organization? And if that's the case in the organization I'm a part of currently, is that the case for all organizations? How do you spot it? How do you get away from it? Can I be my authentic self and not drink the Kool-Aid?
1: Well, I think, you know, this is so crazy and it's a good topic. I would venture out to say that there are individuals that fit a certain system, but don't have to be the company man or play the game. Everybody remembers it. I think it was called The Last Dance documentary, right? Uh, with, the, with the Bulls and their last championship run. Joel, yeah. please let me know. You know what I'm talking about. I do, but I did not watch it. What? I'm oh, not a fan goodness. of Michael so, Jordan. Sorry, I didn't know it. Joel does I'm not do- like anything out of Chicago. No, actually, that's not
0: I just don't like the Bulls because I'm a Pistons fan. Oh, well, you need to get this work. Let me go ahead and tell you about this. <laughs> <laughs> Now,
1: now, let me tell you about uh, the, the Last Dance documentary. I mean, I, they actually gave the Pistons some shout outs there at um, certain points. But I want to talk about one person that actually shares some Pistons blood and it's Dennis Rodman. Right. So as I'm talking about Dennis Rodman, I'm talking about him and I'm thinking about the Pistons team. This is the Detroit bad boys. And then he ends up going and plays for Greg Pop, you know, Coach Pop. Yep. You know, he's an amazing coach a uh, great coach. And I wouldn't say that Dennis fit that system at all, but he had key attributes and qualities of a player that would strengthen up any team, right? Yes. Whether from a defensive perspective a rebound perspective. And, and I think that when you think about that, like how can you make that system work or refine that system for this type of talent in order to better the team's purpose? Same thing with the triangle offense. And if it's one thing you know about the Chicago Bulls and the Phil Jackson era, you know about the triangle offense. Of course. Right. Okay. So please tell me how somebody that probably averaged less than double digits his whole career fits into something that's most noted as the triangle offense.
0: Well, you want me to give my opinion, my perspective on how? Please, please do. Here's my. Here's my thought. See, there's this interesting concept in sports that sets sports apart from every other vertical that exists, in my opinion. And that is, if we really want to win and we really want to be successful, then we have to tailor what it is that we have in front of us, optimize it to get the best results for all of us. When we're talking corporate America, that is not the same thought process. Companies will literally go out of business because there is a a disdain for a certain group, certain culture, certain whatever. They would rather struggle, suffer, not do business with, than to make the right choices. In basketball, I mean, you think about it. Look at at a team that's really, really bad. I, I mentioned this before. I think about the Detroit Pistons' current status. They've had like, 10 coaches in the last 15 years. So you're telling me by making all these changes, you're not really trying to build a culture. And it's not necessarily about drinking the Kool-Aid, it's about building a culture of inclusiveness. So you talked about popping the Spurs. What else are they notorious for outside of consistently performing to a high level? They're also notorious for having the, the, the uh, United Nations on their team as the players from the Virgin Islands, France, Argentina, it is an inclusive environment. And you got Greg Popovich who gets out and speaks consistently, concisely, about matters impacting people of color. So that tells me this is bigger than just being a company man for the Spurs. This is when you're part of this, it's an inclusive nature and you're gonna be respected. You're going to be optimized to the best level that you can get to. It's not about me and what I can get to. It's about what we can all do together and how we can leverage all of those pieces. So again, for me, I, I look at sports and, and that's what I see. When you really want to win, there's no way you cannot leverage somebody to their to their utmost potential or you're probably not going to be where you want to be. And I guess the reason why I'm bringing up sports, if
1: I had to be honest, I'm looking at Rodman and Check me if you need to, but I believe he was a second round player. Like he got drafted in the second round, Um, more so like a defensive specialist, hard nosed, hard worker. Um, Actually, going back to uh, what's the guy with the fro? Give me my man with the fro. uh, Ben Wallace. Ben Wallace. Okay, (laughs) all right. Same same type of player, right? But ends up being defensive player of the year. I believe Robin was defensive player of the year as well. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. But I'm looking at what they bring to the table and it's playing at the highest level not not filling up the stat sheet as it relates to scoring the other things and the intangibles that they're bringing and then I think about the systems that they're in and then you have to have some level of creativity or somebody that sees something that could be a missing piece in order to bring that piece to the puzzle Yes, you cannot have a team full of Dennis Robbins right Correct. but it, I see that as something that because Dennis Rodman was able to break that mold and let him be him right (laughs) to the furthest extent um he was able to bring championships to a certain team um even when he had his breakdowns when he had to go to Vegas and if you missed the series then you missed that all right uh but I think from that standpoint I'm looking at basketball and I'm looking at sports I'm looking at all of that at the highest level right you can play but there are certain things that you can do. And a small mistake could mess up the whole team's vibe or the whole team's opportunity to win a championship. Absolutely. Absolutely. In work, for the everyday person, I believe like every day is a day for execution and it's a day to win a championship. There's not like a really big championship unless you're talking about closing deals, uh, big time deals. But from that standpoint, let me go ahead and call out another thing. Okay. Well, we talk about the indoctrination. We talk about drinking the Kool-Aid or being a company man or playing the game. But then I've seen the culture change. What was once looked at is, hey, you don't have the look of a professional to now you see more seasoned leaders wearing the tennis shoes to work, right? Or wearing the t-shirts to work. Where if you showed up at any point in time, being a person of culture, right, not, not a person of color, we're gonna change that. I like it. <laughs> a person of culture. If you showed up any time looking like that, uh, with you have your tattoos out or you have your special hair, uh, whatever that case may be, you may look be looked at as not a company fit. However, now we're in a situation where those same individuals that are running these organizations are doing more and more to have that look. Man, that's where it's a little confusing to me I do believe that there was one point in time where people of culture, if you look like this, you cannot make it in, in a corporate setting. However, you have some of the people at the top, most of the people at the top, in order to appeal to the uh, younger crowd or the uh, tech community. Now you see that they're 100% looking like the same individual that they said, hey, you know what, you don't have a place here based off of your level of professionalism. Yes. I'm a little confused on that. And
0: and, you know, I'll say this real quick because I find it interesting. Those same folks that are in those seats that once told you, you can't have tattoos, you can't have long hair, you have to come to work in a suit and tie every day, understand this critical element. If I want my business to continue, if I want to continue to thrive, I need to get the latest and the greatest talent. So that means I have to look like that talent. If I don't look like that, they're not going to feel like this is an inclusive environment. Now, once they get in here, we can entice them with maybe maybe pay flexibility, you know, millennials and, and Gen, Gen, Zers or Gen, yeah, Gen Zers were more so, I want to be a part of a company where it can be flexible. I want to make sure that I'm doing something that has an actual impact. That's kind of some of the things they're looking for, not necessarily just the salary. If I want to get that talent that's changing the world today, how do I do it? I entice them by looking like them. Then once we get them in here, we still have a a order of operations or SOPs, standard operating procedures that we use. You have to follow these. You can look this way, but in this setting, you need to do this. So there's still this, this blueprint for what you're supposed to do. But in order for me to get to the next level, I've got to find a way to entice you. So, yes, it is confusing, but what happens with indoctrination a lot of times is, like I said, with programming, you don't even realize the subtle nuances of the situations you're in, and before you know it, yeah, you may be able to wear jeans and a t-shirt to work, but you're talking just like your boss, and just like your boss's peers, and just like everybody else in the organization, and you came in feeling like, well, I get to be Joel, I get to wear my hair like it is. I get to talk the way that I talk. I don't have to try to do these things. But suddenly I'm no longer Joel and I don't even recognize it. Well, let me
1: ask you this then. Um, do you still drink Kool-Aid? Or have you ever had Kool-Aid? I, I yes. I used to I used to smash Kool-Aid, but no, I don't okay. I don't drink juice at all <laughs> All right. So like I gotta know what type of person I'm dealing with here. Okay. 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 Yes. So so were you like the whole like pre-mixed? you know, like the, the type of uh, Kool-Aid that it didn't really taste good if you just ate it by itself, you know what I'm talking about? Like you stick your finger <laughs> in the pack or, or were you having yeah. that or were you doing like the the one that was full of sugar? I don't know if you go back to that one where you could just like stick your finger in it and then eat it, out, fresh yeah. out the pack. I'm messing so, with some people right now, but I'm taking it back.
0: No, I like what you're doing and it's funny because <laughs> – in, in my community, that was the come up. So you had the early stages of Kool Aid, like you're talking about, that were really, really sugary. Then they had the new version, now supposed to be a little bit healthier, and you still had to add your sugar to it. Mm-hmm. So we got we got rich, and, you know, coming up, and, and my mom got a job at the plant, and we thought we was rich because we could afford the the Kool Aid. So <laughs> I, I was able to experience. And really thought we had some money, man. We had no money, but uh, yeah, you know, just that process. I I I got to experience both.
1: Uh, Okay, that's good. I just wanted to know from that standpoint because I'm thinking about it now, and I'm like, I guess there's there's levels to this conversation of drinking the Kool Aid, right? Yes. Um, man, and I want to get good clarification because you brought up a good point. Like, okay, so now we're speaking like you, or we're speaking your language, we're looking like you want to appease or appeal to this certain type of group. And as you come in, now we want to change up the way that you talk. So I'm thinking about it from that standpoint. And like, at what point in time is it drinking the Kool-Aid or playing the game or what we've heard way back and it's just being a sellout?
0: My opinion is when you get to the point where, and I'll give my, for instance, in my role, I, I facilitate a lot of, of the larger meetings that we have. And in these larger meetings, I'm predominantly the only man of color. i see more women of color. And when I say of color, I'm being more general to the, the diaspora, the full spectrum of color. But very rarely do I see black folks in these meetings. And I can only think of two black men in the in the 100 or 100 plus meetings that I facilitated, maybe two black men that I can remember specifically, which means that I'm always going to be the one standing out. And as a result, I found myself trying to perform at the highest possible level so that nobody could ever say that I wasn't about my business. Now I'm towing the line right there in my perspective. I'm towing the line, because it's less about how qualified I am and it's about putting on a show so people can say or believe or think that I'm really, really good at my job as opposed to me knowing it because I've been doing it for so long. Where I think you cross that line is when you can't even look in the mirror and, and say to yourself, man, I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I need to let folks know that I'm uncomfortable and that I'm the only Black, folk, black person in these rooms. And we need to address this diversity and inclusion. If I'm not able to even have that conversation with myself, I'm towing the line to getting closer and closer to that sellout, especially when I get in there and I'm smiling ear to ear and I'm saying all the jokes and speaking the speak and doing all of that. And that I don't feel comfortable doing it, but I feel like I have to. I think that's when you've crossed that line.
1: I mean, you bring up some really good points, but I also look at it, as it's a situational thing or a timing yes. thing and a generational thing. So going back to what you were saying, like when you were a child, right? You, you felt like you were rich when you were able to upgrade in levels of Kool-Aid, right? Um, now, let's think about the individuals that worked in a factory or a plant. This was a lick, and more than likely they would stay at a company for the rest of their lives. Once they got in, they did not get out until it was time to retire, grab a pension. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm done working, yes. period. Yes. From that standpoint, I would that person could be viewed as a company man and drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm trying to figure out where the line is drawn from doing what you have to do to being a sellout. Where do you draw the line in between those two areas?
0: Gotcha. The distinction. Well, you said something earlier that that I think is, helps to define that. So you talked about, again, levels. So depending on the era that you come from in terms of your working history, that, that'll tell a lot because my mom, my grandmother, they were still a part of that mindset and generation where. You don't take vacations. You come in every day, you do your job, you keep your head down, you don't say anything. You, you know what I mean? Like that was the, the, the best way for us to maintain our employment and not get in trouble and take the, potentially lose that job. Fast forward to Joel today and I'm like, hey, if things ain't going the way that I want them to go and I'm, gon- I'm a big dreamer. So if my big dreams aren't being fulfilled, I don't have to stay here. I'm most definitely taking my vacation. And if I'm not feeling good today, I'm just not feeling good. So I'm not coming in. So depending on where you are in terms of generation, your perspective on how to be a good employee may differ. And I i mean, it's, it's kind of a hard question because it is there's so many variables, but I believe that the best way to be a, the best version of yourself about crossing that line to being a sellout in the workplace is joel silman wants to be the best version of himself everything that i do it needs to be to a certain level it's not about what somebody else dictates or determines that level to be it's about what i know i am capable of and how i'm going about achieving that for some people it's the you know the I want them to like me, I want, I, I want them to give this to me, I want to be accepted into this room and I want this, I need this. It's not about me, it's about what somebody else is thinking has to offer. So you're chasing something somebody else has as opposed to chasing what you want to accomplish. And I think that's gonna be, if I had to put an umbrella over it, because again, there's a whole lot of variables under there, but if I had to put an umbrella, that's what I would say it is for me. It's what I'm chasing based off of who I am, my moral compass, my, my, my desire to evolve versus me chasing this because somebody else told me that this is the finish line and I'm gonna do whatever they say I need to do to get there.
1: I can dig that, but Joe, what this is what I wanna do. And please feel free to put the mirror back up at me. But what I'd like to do is make it, make the conversation real, right? Right. And I feel like there are certain points and times in our lives where we have to make a decision or we have to come to some, ter- some type of grips with what our current reality is. And if you could do me a favor and then dig back into your memory banks, hopefully it's not anything recent as of like today, <laughs>
0: <It> <laughs> but if you be. could
1: uh, uh, pull, pull out a situation where you felt like, okay, Based off of this situation right here, I might just be veering on the side of a sellout or drinking the Kool-Aid, being a company man, playing the game. Like, look back in your life, the life and times of Joel, and then tell me where that may have showed up for you.
0: Well, I I can tell you one um, pretty, pretty easily, actually. It was prior to me being a part of the organization I am now. The organization prior I, I realized that number one again in the, in the part of the business that I was in there wasn't a whole lot of me that was the first part and when we got a new lead over the project management office I could tell that he didn't have a whole lot of experience or, or time interacting with dealing with black folks specifically black men and He had no idea how to deal with a Black man that wasn't the stereotype that had probably been presented to him. But I found myself kind of, as they say in some circles, soft-shoeing around him, so I didn't come off as one of those, quote-unquote, Black guys that he probably saw on TV or read about or heard about that he needed to stay away from. I wanted to appear more like him in terms of the way I talked and trying to make sure that I'm extremely articulate with everything that I say and even, hey, you want to go to lunch? And yeah, you know, let's go to lunch. And we're talking about things that I don't care anything about, but because that's the conversation that's being presented, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to laugh at the dumb jokes. I I put myself in a position where I was 100% outside of myself to the point I got so uncomfortable. It forced me to be like, all right, now, you don't want to be here you don't want to do this you know this dude is playing you you're trying to come off as less of this and be more of him this isn't a good look so what are we going to do about it so i shifted and i started being more of my authentic self with him not just in my every interaction with people but with him and i saw the shift almost immediately fan no lie i saw the switch almost immediately in how he interacted with me, how frequent it was. He used to come into my desk and talk, stopped all of that. And I was like, dang, you really played yourself all this time. Yeah, I feel like I was playing myself to make him comfortable and, and to be accepted in his mind as a decent, upstanding person.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I'll tell you that I have a personal situation that I can think back to. Um, I've had the luxury of living in multiple places. Uh, one thing that I appreciate the most about it was I had an opportunity to live in Las Vegas. Now, this is the beautiful thing about Las Vegas, Nevada. It was so cool because it was a tech company. I get to dress with however I want, t-shirts, jeans. I could, my favorite shoe at the time was phone Foamposites. So I would just have my different color phone Foamposites with my little tech shirts. It was, a, it was an amazing time. I loved it. And then um, just moving through the corporate ladder, Got another opportunity, and they're like, okay, now you're a part of corporate, and you're at the corporate location, and you have to wear blazers. Joel, when I tell you that my mind said yes, but my body said no. Every other week, I got sick. No lie. Mm. My body shut down weeks at a time. I'm just in the bed, night sweats. And I had to think, what is going on? I did some research on it usually when your mind is captured, your body is trying to fight you out of it. So your body will purposely get sick to try to fight yourself or keep you away from that, that type of oppression, that type of mental disease that you're putting yourself in. Cause I'm telling my mind, no matter what, I can do anything. I'm going to keep pushing. My body's like, no, sir, you're going to sit right here. You're going to sit right here. You're going to be sick. Removing that out of my life is when I became the healthiest version of myself again hey your mind can drink as much kool-aid as you want but your body's gonna let you know and your body keeps the score which is a great book by the way if you haven't heard of it it's called the body keeps the score and um uh, i suggest everybody read it maybe i'll just link it in the in the show notes if anybody's
0: interested in that but
1: that's my personal story
0: that is interesting and and i like that too because if we're honest the best tasting Kool-Aid is probably the least healthy for us.
1: But I just felt yeah. like that story was, was um, actually timing. When, when you think about, timely, when you think about your story and, and how you had to try to like, I guess, play, you said play yourself. But my thought process is, you know, my body was keeping the score. My mind was like, hey, you can keep going. You can push through anything. But there's one thing about knowing freedom or knowing Uh, what you're worth knowing your independence. And once your mind knows that, yeah, your mind can, you can switch your mind to anything just because of neuroplasticity. However, your body will keep the score. And my body did. And I had to heal all of that in order to bounce back.
0: Wow. That is crazy. You know, it's funny though, because where you're going, brother, you are so right on time. If you think about what we chase and why we chase it. So the majority of time, we're drinking the Kool-Aid or becoming indoctrinated into a company culture comes into play. It's always well, not I'm not gonna say always because some banal. If you never heard that, means some, but not all. So some banal. Generally, we are chasing something that somebody else designated as the goalpost, and I talk about the American dream all the time. The American dream wasn't built for everyone. The American dream is beneficial to the ones that are still able to benefit from it right now. So what we need to do is we need to stop the American dream thought process and come with the my dream. We got we to gotta realign and readjust the goalposts because sometimes my success doesn't mean I have a multi-trillion dollar company. Sometimes I have a company that makes about $100,000, $250,000 a year, but I have my freedom. I can move how I want. I'm in the home with my children. They get to see me. I'm their part of raising them, teaching them. They're getting to see dad. They're getting to see mom and dad working together, working through trials and tribulations and all that good stuff. Sometimes we just have to redefine and reimagine what success really looks like. And that will take out the need for the Kool-Aid in the first place. Now, easier said than done probably for most, but we're taught from the time we're in middle school or or even younger. Now it doesn't happen for most people that come from the communities I I came from, but hey, you need to go to college so you can get a good job. So you can get a house, you can get your cars, you get your, your marriage and your children and the dogs and the you know, the the vacations and the boats. and all. It's all about trying to attain stuff that we've seen other people attain. And that becomes the bar. Yeah, I totally agree. Um,
1: and that makes me think back to some of the things that I normally write down. One of the things I thought about was the path towards the present, right? Typically, we're always chasing the future, no matter what it is. I got this and I really wanted it. I worked hard for it. But now that I have it, I'm not content, I want something else and I want more. And while we're always pushing for more, the, at least my thought process is, I'm going to keep on moving towards the now. How do I feel now? How do I feel in this moment? And how do I recognize exactly what that is? That That's important for me because I wanna to get to the point where I'm forever repeating pleasures And ignoring pains, that means I'm not really focused on the bad things that's happening. I'm thinking about the good things that are happening because I'm staying in the now. I'm always pushing towards how am I feeling in this current moment and enjoying that. Just to your point, multi-billion, multi-trillion dollar company or financial freedom. My kids see me, my kids enjoy me, I get to watch them grow up. Some of the great things that I really enjoyed over the past year, <laughs> even though every parent would say, I cannot agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I would say I really enjoy watching my kids grow up, um, and my son uh, losing all his baby fat <laughs> during the time of <laughs> yeah, you know, like actually he was a, he was a little baby and now he's he, he lost all the fat in his cheeks and he's showing his abs. So. Um, that's a, that was an amazing journey over the past year. And to be able to see that and watch that and be a part of it more so, not yeah. just watch it and recognize it, but be a part of that is an amazing thing, something I'll never be able to get back. And I'm happy that I was able to have that moment and not lose that
0: moment, you know, chasing somebody else's dream. Yes, absolutely. Could you imagine if you look back and you couldn't remember, like, oh, my goodness when did you, when did you get abs? I don't, when did this happen? Because you were working on projects, right? Just online doing work every day. Cause you know, once we started doing the whole work from home thing for a lot of folks, the hours of operation changed unintentionally. You wouldn't even be thinking about it. Next thing you know, it's five, six, seven, eight o'clock at night and you're still doing email, emailing this person, you know, making sure that this is completed, making sure that you've done all your, got all your deliverables. It changed the game for us. So we had to recalibrate. And, and I believe I, I'm going to say this and I, I trust that you've done this too, but I recalibrated and got back to the point where I said, you know what, I don't have to wake up as early. So I'm going to start specifically at this time. And I'm going to end specifically at this time. And every day at this time, I'm going to work out. And then I'm a shower. And then I'm going to eat. And however long that process takes in the day is just how long it takes. But what I'm not going to do is on the back end, be up five, six, seven, eight o'clock every night, just trying to make up so people think I'm working. I had to change or, or realign, reassess that goalpost. Where, where's the end zone? How do I get there? Is it <laughs> for you or is it for me? And once I did that, I felt so, so much better. You heard
1: of uh, Maxine Waters, Congresswoman Maxine Waters? All right, so when when you said what you just said, for some reason, that thought just came in my head. Such a beautiful woman at 82 years old. You know, shout out to her. It's an amazing age to still be doing what she's doing. But I just remember that clip of her, like slamming that gavel down, man, and saying, reclaiming my time. You know what I'm right. talking about? Okay. All right. That's what, that's what I just thought about with you and your story. But absolutely, man. I wake up, I get straight to it, though. I wake up, I got to work out in the morning because I can make excuses throughout the day. So I got to do it as soon as my brain's not on. Uh, gotcha. That's the first thing I do. I get up and I just work out. Whatever it is, I just get it in. Um, and it, I feel like I'm stronger, I'm better throughout the day, I'm mentally tough. I actually collected a a small win for the day. No matter what I'm about to face, I already knocked out something in the win column before any losses try to approach. And then um, just try to use that uh, compound effect based off of collecting that small win. But I think that that's an awesome thing. Hey, um, another thing that I thought about too, just to tie in that point that you said about the American dream, there was a post that I made a long time ago before my social media, social media hiatus. Okay. I used to want the American dream. And then I realized it wasn't my dream. All right? right. I've never really wanted any of the things that's associated with the American dream because, you know, I, I just, that just wasn't my experience. And sometimes when you think about that thought process, tying in the idea of that Kool-Aid. If that is your dream, then you're enjoying life. But typically when we come to this role where we're like, what am I doing? There has to be some point in time where you ask yourself that question, what am I doing? Are you on the path towards the present and the now to understand how you got to this moment and how you're going to move beyond this moment? Or have you been just watching somebody else and say, you know what, I'm gonna do what they're doing. And then at the end of the day, you're not satisfied with where you are because you've been chasing what somebody else wants, not what you want.
0: Heavy, brother. That's heavy. It's so real. And I, I, I dare to say, I've been very, very guilty of that. And, and I've had to check myself. Um, the, the goal for me, like I, I know I talk about that, you know, taking those introspective looks and, and being extremely thoughtful and intentional with who I intend to be tomorrow versus today, you know, just that 1% better every day. It's kind of the way I try to live. Man, I, I remember when my wife and I got together, I tried, I used to try to convince her all the time that being a homeowner was not a good thing because you never truly own it. And it was a game. It was, you know, it was a system that was taking advantage of you and they they still get you to pay these taxes every year. Somebody owns the land, you don't know. All of that not great talking points but it was a fear because I never thought that I would be capable of home ownership. Because again, from my limited experiences growing up and from the unfortunate circumstances I had growing up, you know, achieving certain things financially was never in the picture for me. Now, through tons and tons and tons of growth, we are now homeowners. And I had to check myself in because I remember one day, I was like, man, I like this house. I would like it if we just had like one more bedroom, or maybe maybe a bonus room like this or something. I was trying to, I was trying to legitimize my uh, my lack of appreciation for how far I had come. So when you talk about celebrating the successes, I was not truly celebrating every little success. I do it now, but I wasn't then, and and I even sometimes still I look at the house and be like, dang. Somebody coming from out of town, they're going to take my TV room, you know, just kind of complaining about stuff that's completely insignificant. And in the grand scheme, the blessings that I've received to this point are amazing. And I wasn't appreciating it. And you get into these corporate environments and you're trying to push and push and push to go up the food chain because you want more money to get more stuff. And, and that's where I'm trying to be really careful right now. I don't, I'm not. I have no intentions of drinking the the company Kool-Aid and being a company man. I have no intentions, but I also need to check myself to ensure I don't put myself in a position where I have to drink the Kool-Aid to keep up a lifestyle, to maintain my lifestyle, if you get what I'm saying.
1: If it's more money, more capital, so you can do other things, then I totally agree with you because that's what you have to do. Please believe it. While I talked about Dennis Rodman and we talked about how he probably didn't fit in certain systems, he did bring something to the table that made him a viable candidate to be a part of that team. And once he was a part of that team, he did his job. And then once he realized that wasn't what he wanted to do, he got the hell out, right? (laughs) I think that that part is important. And that that doesn't doesn't even need to be said at this point. But just know why you're doing what you're doing. Because I'd hate to be in that position or for us to put ourselves in that position where we continually ask ourselves, what am I doing? Right, And that comes from drinking the Kool-Aid. And we know, just like drinking that sweet, sugary drink, after a while, it just doesn't taste the same. Mm. After a while, it's gonna hurt the body. And like I said before, the body keeps
0: the score. Man, this is, this is a heavy one. Um, it's making me do a lot of soul searching, even in some of my pursuits currently. So to your point, I think discovering your purpose. And I'm going to share this little nugget. Often I don't share my nuggets because I, I maintain them for my presentations, but I'll share this. A lot of times people ask a simple question. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What, is, what do I bring to the world? and question that I've asked myself several times over. And I came to an understanding. All of us are blessed with different gifts, right? When your gift can be combined with serving somebody else, that's your purpose. Anything you do outside of your purpose should be in place to help you achieve your purpose. And drinking the Kool-Aid does not fit anywhere into that equation. So whatever it is that you are pursuing in life, figure out why you're pursuing it. And if whatever it is you're trying to achieve at the end of the day, there's no way that it can serve somebody else, then think a little bit longer about how you could potentially help others by becoming the best version of yourself. And I think I'm gonna leave it right there. Please share the podcast with your friends
1: and frenemies because of whether it's news, entertainment, or help, everybody's dosing something. Come and get yours. We aspire to inspire to inspire until you expire. Until next time.